0: So I'm sure you relate to this. This is a what? No, 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 no. This is, this is called a fight that is getting ready to start. That's what this really is. So yes, you might know this as a remote control, but in our house, this is, this is fighting words. That whoever holds this remote holds the keys to the kingdom, so to speak. That whoever holds this remote controls everything. And it immediately Turns into a fight. One of the kids will get a hold of this remote and they try to go so fast. They're trying to get to their show while the other kids are wrestling. He's like, no, I've got it. I have found this remote in so many strange places. The bathroom being one of them. And I'm like, why is this remote in the bathroom? I didn't want anybody else to find it. I didn't want anybody else to get it. So my kids will turn on their show and then they will walk around with this remote so that nobody else could ever get it. Becky and I, we usually do like a Friday night family movie night. And so it's, no, 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 you have had the remote all week. It's our turn for the remote. And as soon as we say that there's a war, there's a battle, there's all this tension that is brought up in our family. Because out of five of us, two adults, three kids, all of us want to have control. All of us want to watch something different. And we don't wanna let go of that control. It creates so much conflict and so much tension. One tiny little device causes so many problems, tensions and conflict in our family on a daily basis. (laughs) You would think it would get easier. You would think it would get better, but it doesn't. At least in my case, maybe I'm doing it wrong. It never gets better or easier. I think we deal with the exact same tension in our own personal lives as well. We want to have control. We want to dictate. We want not just things to go the way we want, but we also want our preferences to be taken into consideration. We want to hold on to this at all costs. We don't wanna let it go. And when something is out of our control, when something is happening that we cannot control, it creates conflict, it creates tension, it creates a problem in our own lives. Even if that other person is God himself. Like, hey, this is my area. And you're like, no, 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 I should have control of that. And all of a sudden, now spiritually speaking, you and God are having some tension because there are things that you are not able to hold on to, that you are not in control of. As we go through Joseph's story today, that's what I want you to be thinking about. These two words of in and out, not in and out as in the wonderful fast food chain in the West Coast, not in and out, but in and out. In other words, it's asking these two questions all morning. What was in Joseph's control? What was actually in his control? What could he control? What could he do? What was his response in the midst of the second question? Well, what was out of Joseph's control? A lot of things are going to happen in the story we read today. And a lot of things are out of Joseph's control. We have to recognize what those are. So that we can truly figure out, well, what is actually in my control? What can I do? What should I be doing when I'm faced with a lot of things that are outside of my control? Let me catch you up. If you weren't here last week, the story of Joseph, Old Testament story. We see Joseph, he was the youngest of his brothers. His father had favoritism on Joseph, loved him more than any of his other brothers, which led to a lot of problems. The brothers contributed to this dysfunction. Joseph himself contributed to this dysfunction as well as their father, Jacob. And this ended up just being a recipe for disaster. The brothers got all mad and jealous, so they plotted to kill Joseph. Long story short, instead of killing Joseph, they decided to sell Joseph into slavery to get Joseph out of their family, to get him out of their life. So you would look at Joseph's story and that's where we ended last week. It wasn't a very great ending. But as we said, God is working behind the scenes and we won't necessarily see that until a little bit later, but know and trust that God is gonna be with Joseph and God is gonna be working and moving even in the midst of difficulty and hardship and especially in the things that we would say are outside of our control. If you got your Bible, Genesis chapter 39, we're going to go through a good portion of this story, this chapter. We're going to break it up into three parts, three parts. And in each one of these parts, we're going to see what was in Joseph's control, what was out of his control. Part two, what was in his control, what was out. Part three, what was in his control and out of his control. So we can learn from the same thing. Joseph's story and situation will probably be very different from the life that you're living in your situation. However, the general out-of-control things that he dealt with, you're gonna to relate to. What he chose to do, the things that were in his control, you are most certainly gonna still be able to relate to. So even though Joseph's story is one of an extreme, Many things that we can still learn uh, will apply to us. If you don't have a Bible, make sure you pick one up afterwards, right where you see the t-shirts and the coffee. That's our gift to you. It's so important uh, that you've got a Bible that you can read and understand, and that is yours. So you can have outside of just a Sunday. So our gift to you. Here's the story. Again, we'll be in it. We're gonna look at this in three different sections. Here's the first part. Genesis chapter 39, verse one. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar. An Egyptian officer, Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything that he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned." So that's where the story picked up from last week. Again, instead of getting killed, he got sold into slavery by his brothers. And now he's sold again from the Ishmaelite traders to the house of Potiphar, an Egyptian um, captain. Now let's ask the question, what was in his control? What was out of Joseph's control? Those two questions are gonna be crucial for today. What was out of his control? Well, who he got sold to. Joseph had no say in what happened to him once his brothers sold him into slavery. So he had no control over where he was sold. He had no control over who his master was. He had no control over the tasks that he was given. He had no control over what he was asked to do. A lot of that situation, a lot of this part of Joseph's story was completely out of his control. So that's out of his control. Let's not focus on there because there's nothing we can really do about it. So what was in Joseph's control? It was how he responded and how he served and how he lived his life in the midst of the uncontrolled. Notice here, God was with him and Joseph continued to serve his master well to the point of verse three, Potiphar noticed this, realized that God was with him, realized the work ethic, integrity, and character of Joseph. And so what did Potiphar do? He put him in charge of his entire household, Like this is actually looking up for Joseph. Things weren't looking so good. Now things are starting to look up. Sold into slavery, but at least he got a promotion. Things are looking a little bit better for Joseph. So what was in his control, what is always in our control? Let me say it this way. Be noticeably different. Be noticeably different. It would have been very easy for Joseph to recognize the situation that he was in, the control that he lacked, I can't control that I'm in slavery and I can't control who my master is. I can't control what I'm being asked to do, so I don't wanna do any of it. It would be easy for Joseph to get into a place of bitterness and resentment. That would have been very different. Instead, he said, no, 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 no. No matter my situation, I will still serve God and I will serve others with that same integrity and that same character. Potiphar noticed something out of all of the slaves he most likely would have had, Potiphar noticed something different in the life of Joseph, how he carried himself. And I would ask us the same question. What do our thoughts, what do our actions say about what we believe? What do our attitudes say about what we believe? Jesus speaks to this, Jesus' words in Matthew chapter five. He says this, pretty famous, pretty familiar passage. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. And he sums it up, verse 16. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. Why? So that everyone will praise your Father in heaven. That everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Joseph is living this out before Jesus ever spoke those words. That no matter the situation, no matter the unfairness, no matter the problems, no matter the hardship, no matter what is out of his control, Joseph says, There's one thing that I at least have control over how I'm going to serve, how I'm going to act, how I'm going to speak in this crazy, dysfunctional, disastrous, and unfair situation. He doesn't complain that we have record of, he lives out his faith. And it is noticeably different to the point where Potiphar actually notices. Which each of these questions, the what's in our control, what's out of our control, what's in Joseph's control, what's out of Joseph's control, I wanna give you like a reflection question. Something that I hope just doesn't go through your your head, your ears real quick this morning. This might be worth taking a picture of, this might be worth writing down, and truly spending some time this week reflecting on this. Here's the question, the first one. What do people see when you're in pain? What do people see in you when you are hurt? What do people see in you when you're mistreated, when you are judged, when you've been treated wrongly, when you are living in a situation that is unfair, undeserved, what do people see in you? Our situation and Joseph's situation, like I said, very, very different, most likely. But what's in our control is the same. How we continue to serve, how we continue to live out our faith in the midst of a situation that is out of our control. That's part one. Things are looking pretty good for Joseph. We're on the ups. Don't hold your breath because the story of Joseph is a roller coaster of a ride. So here's what happens next. Here's part two of Joseph's story. And again... Look for what's in his control. Look for what is out of his control. We're going to pick up at the end of verse 6. We're told this. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man, and Potiphar's wife soon began began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, flattered, but my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held nothing back from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against, and say this with me, who's he going to sin against if he follows through? God. Remember that. We're going to come back. That's a big piece. It would be a great sin against God. So he stands up for what's right. He tells her no. I refuse to do something that's against my faith and against my character, ultimately against my God, as well as my master. Verse 10, the temptation continues. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by, you can't make this up, like this is soap opera 101 here. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. Like kudos to Joseph. I mean, that kind of temptation, that kind of opportunity. And he said, I want to have nothing to do with this. I'm out of here. He said, no, he refused her multiple times. He stayed strong day after day. But when push came to shove, I mean, incredible man of God here that he literally ran away from her, leaving his cloak, leaving his coat behind. Like, he should be commended for this. He should be rewarded for this. But I think you can imagine the life of Joseph doesn't keep going up. It's going to fall pretty quickly. Here's what happens next. Verse 13. When Potiphar's wife, when she saw that she was holding his cloak, she said, uh-oh, <laughs> How am I going to explain this? She was holding his cloak and he had fled. She called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. That liar! He was doing what was right. He was doing the godly thing, the right thing. Thing. And she made up a horrible lie about him. Now, surely Potiphar can see through this lie. Surely, surely Potiphar could figure out what actually happened and that Joseph would get an opportunity to explain himself and that he again would be rewarded or even commended for his righteous actions. Verse 19 Potiphar was furious. When he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. How's that for doing the right thing? Let's ask the question again. What was in Joseph's control? What was out of Joseph's control? What was out of his control? The temptation, completely out of Joseph's control. He even tried to stay out of her way and the temptation was constantly knocking on his door, completely out of our control as well. Temptations in life will always, always, always knock on your door. So we can't do anything about the temptations of life. We can't do anything about how she responded, about how Potiphar's wife responded to his refusal. He can't control her lie that she told. Can't control how Potiphar responded to the lie that was told about him. He can't control, bottom line, the temptation and other people. And that's a hard pill to swallow. Like we know that, like no one would disagree with that, but we live our life expecting to be able to control those two things. What's out of our control is the temptation and other people. So what's in Joseph's control? If all of that is out of his control and spinning out of control, what can he actually do? What is he able to actually hold on to control to? It really comes down to one thing, how he responds to temptation, how he responds to sin. He can't control the temptation knocking on his door. He can't control how other people react and respond to situations. He can only control how he responds. How does he respond? By taking sin seriously. I'd say the same to us. Again, our situations may be very different than him. But what's in our control is most certainly the same, that we should take sin seriously, take sin seriously. I go back to it because he didn't just say, this would be a sin against my master. It's not just because it's wrong. It's not just because it's not the right thing. Remember what he said? It would be a sin against God. And so often we look at our sins and more of a lighthearted way of like, well, that would hurt other people. I shouldn't because it's not right, it's not ethical, it's not moral. Bottom line, folks, it's a sin against God, and Joseph takes his sin seriously. He doesn't give any other explanation, any other reasoning other than, no, I'm not going to, yes, it would be wicked, yes, it would be against my character, yes, it would be against my faith, yes, it would hurt the man that has given me responsibilities, But bottom line, he refuses because it would be a sin against God. So what do we do with that? Again, I said, the temptations are out of our control. We will always be tempted. That's the job of the devil, is to tempt you and try to pull you away from God, to distract you and keep pulling you away from God through our sin. Temptation will constantly be knocking on your door. When I was a teenager, one of my youth pastors gave us the challenge to memorize scripture like most youth pastors do. Nathan does that with his group as well. One of those passages, he told us again and again and again, you have to have this passage memorized. You have to have it in your head. You have to have it in your heart. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. For no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to us all. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so you can endure. Oh man, I've held on to that. Break that down just a little bit. No temptation has overtaken us all, or it's overtaken you except what's common to us all. In other words, sin and temptations are always gonna be knocking on your door. You can't do anything about that. But God is, what's it say? Faithful. God is faithful. He knows what you can handle, and He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, not if you are tempted, but when you are tempted, he provides a way out. Now it's in our control. It's up to us whether we choose that way out or whether we give in. It's up to us whether we refuse like Joseph or whether we give in. That is always in our control. How seriously do we take sin? Temptation is knocking, but you don't have to open the door this last week, if you haven't been here yet, I highly recommend it. Have you guys been to Crumble Cookie yet? Oh my goodness gracious. Can we just give a shout out to Crumble Cookie? It's a great thing that they are now in Dawsonville. It also might be the worst thing that's happened to my family, the fact that they're in Dawsonville. Now, please hear me. I have nothing but great things to say about Crumble Cookie. We went there, it was their soft opening this last week. My kids had never heard of it before. They get home from school and said, everybody get in the car where are we going? It doesn't matter. You are about to experience something you will never forget. So I drove them, Becky and I drove them to Crumble Cookie and we walked inside and it was just everything that I knew it was going to be. We'd been at the one off off exit 13 and we're like, it's finally here. So we got our Crumble Cookies, ate it, it was a great time. And I say all that because I'm like, it's a great thing unless you're trying to not eat sugar. (laughs) Right? It's a great place to go as long as you don't care about your calorie intake. If you are somebody that cannot have sugar, then you should not go in crumble cookie. But here's what tends to happen with us. If that's you, and we've all been there, right? I'm gonna go through this month and I'm not gonna have any sugar and I'm gonna watch what I eat. But I've heard of this new store that just opened. I wanna be supportive of my local community and businesses here. So I'm just going to walk in. I'm not going to get anything. I'm just going to walk in and see what all the hype is about. So you walk into Crumble Cookie, strong in your position and your principledness, saying, "I will not get me a cookie." But you walk in and you go, "Oh, it smells so good in here. I don't know why." And then you just see all the smiling faces and you hear the voices when you walk in, "Welcome to Crumble." You're like, oh, "You guys are so nice." It would be rude of me, so rude of me to walk into this lovely establishment and not support them. So then you think, well, I'll just go up and I'm gonna talk to the lady that's so nice and welcomed me in with a big smile and just tell me the story of Crumble Cookie. And they tell you the story. And, and then you see right in front of you, right? Not on a picture, like the real things right in front of you on the counter. And they're this big. And they're like, they change every week and you get to try. You mean I have to come back Weekly? because it changes every week. What a great idea, Marketing 101. (laughs) So then you start to look and you're like, well, again, it would be rude. I'm already here, there's a line, they're kind of waiting. Let me go ahead and get, I'll get them for a friend. I'll get them for a friend. Let's go ahead and do the box of four. Let's get them for a friend. And I don't know what they like, so I'll pick what I like. And I'll go ahead and pick the four. But these aren't for me. These are not for me. I'm gonna make sure I give these away. So then they take your order and they're so nice about it. And then you wait over here and then they bring the box open to you. Is this what you ordered? You're "You're starting to get a little weak at this point. You're like, "Uh, it's what I ordered for my friend. Yeah, yeah, that's what I ordered. Thank you. So then you begin to walk out. And that box is sitting on your counter. I experienced this firsthand last night. I said, guys, don't don't eat these. These are for church tomorrow. I walked upstairs for a second. I walked back downstairs. The box was open. And I said, kids, what are you doing? They said, we were just looking. That's how it starts. You start just looking. I'm not going to eat one. I'm just looking and smelling. What wonder if the other one smells different because they're all very different. Let's smell. <sighs> they do smell different. They even feel different because they have hot ones. Oh, the snickerdoodle one is warm. And then they have the other ones with the icing that are chilled. So then you just start touching them. Oh, how I've touched them. I can't give them to my friend. <laughs> that would be against all the COVID regulations. I guess I'll just hang on to them. That's how temptation works, doesn't it? Now, please don't mishear me. You should all go to Crumble Cookie today. None of this was anti-Crumble Cookie (laughs) whatsoever. I've already been there. (laughs) But you see how the temptation knocks? And it doesn't stop knocking, folks. Temptation will always be knocking on your door. You cannot control who knocks on your door. You control if you open the door. Joseph, with all of the strength and godliness kept the door shut and ran the other direction. So let me ask you this question again, one of those other reflection questions to write down, take a picture, think through it this week. Here it is, what sin have you taken lightly? What sin have you taken lightly? It's no big deal, it's just this once, everybody does it, everybody struggles with it, the opportunity was there, I try but it never really works. No one will know. It's not hurting anyone. Those are all red flags of taking sin lightly. Another way to think of it, again, I've been saying that phrase, temptations will knock on your door. What temptation are you opening the door to? I just want to see who it is. I just want to see what they want. Keep the door shut. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to us all. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure. Take sin seriously. That's what's in our control. Not the temptation, but how we respond to it. All right, that was part two. Last part of Joseph's story. Remember, he got thrown in jail unfairly, unjustly, and now he's stuck worse than he started. Again, it's this roller coaster of, hey, things are looking up. And then it plummets all the way down. Here's the last part of this story and where we'll end today. Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. Everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. I give Joseph a lot of credit, obviously, for those first two parts for sure. That he's able to be noticeably different, live out his faith even in the midst of unfair. That he's able to take sin so seriously and refuse such difficult temptation. But this one is the one that I'm most amazed about. Because Joseph up until this point in this part of the story, he had done a lot of things right a lot of things right. The right things for Joseph, though, did not equal the right results. That might be the hardest thing for us to deal with. When you do the right things and your life gets worse. Joseph did the right things, his situation got worse. He did the godly things and more unfairness happened. He did what was right and was mistreated. I don't know about you but for me that's the hardest thing to watch Joseph go through. He did everything right and his life ended up worse. So what's out of his control? Let's ask the question again. Out of his control being thrown back into prison. What's out of his control once again how Potiphar treated him? What's in his control? I want to say this phrase that he stayed the course. What's in our control, same thing, to stay the course. This is the part where people give up. This is the part where people begin to lose faith because I'm doing everything right, most things right. I'm following God. I'm trying to do the right things and live by his word, but it's not working out the way that I thought. And it's at that moment we begin to say, so therefore it's not worth it anymore. It's at that point, if our faith doesn't produce results that we want, we begin to walk away and disengage from our faith. And Joseph does the exact opposite. He was doing the right things and his situation got worse, yet he still had the right faith. It goes back to almost where it started. He, we recognize that God's with him, that he continues to do the right things, he continues to help, he continues to serve, even though he's in prison, and things start to look maybe a little bit better again. It would have been easy for Joseph to say, I'm not even going to try anymore. It's easy for us to say, why even bother? Can I plead with you, stay the course of your faith? Even when your faith is not producing the results you want, even when doing the right things seems to make things worse, can I plead with you to stay the course of faith? Galatians tells us this, fits right in. Galatians chapter six, verse nine. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. Some of you just came for that. You're tired, you're exhausted of doing the right things and the right things not being done in return. Of doing what's righteous and your life keeps spinning more and more out of control. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't, say these last two words with me, if we don't give up if we don't give up that's a great verse and man i could encourage you with that but i think for joseph it needs to go a little bit deeper than that of like yes we do need to keep doing what's right and we do need to keep moving forward so we don't give up because yes god is working and god is moving and we'll see that in the end of joseph's story but for you today right here right now and for me i want to leave you with this second corinthians chapter one verse three Just so you know, whenever I do a funeral, this is how I start. So let me start this with you. And whatever brokenness, whatever struggles, whatever hardships, whatever unfairness you're dealing with, let me read to you how I begin a funeral. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. The source of all comfort. Here's your last reflection question for the week. Where do you find your strength and your comfort? Where do you find it? So often we try to find strength and comfort to keep doing the right things and to keep moving forward. We try to find that in so many other things and places and people. The source of comfort comes from God. I think Joseph knew that. So he held closely to the source of comfort. See, the theme of what we just read today through chapter 39, the theme of Joseph's story most certainly could be unfair. It was unfair that he was sold into slavery. It was unfair the way that Potiphar's wife lied about him. It was unfair that he was in prison for doing the right thing. It was unfair that he's now stuck as a prisoner. Like the whole story could just be described and defined as unfair. But there's another theme that we saw throughout this chapter that is even greater than the theme of unfairness. Because at the end of the day, unfair is out of our control. I don't know if you caught it or not, but four times this phrase was spoken. Word for word, the exact same phrase was mentioned four times throughout chapter 39. Do you know what the phrase was? The Lord was with him. And the Lord was with him. And the Lord was with him. And the Lord was with Joseph. Lord was with Joseph. And I would say that to you today. And the Lord is with you. No matter your struggles, no matter your problems, no matter your hardships, no matter the unfairness, the Lord is with you. Just as he was with Joseph. So your very last question, and I think the most important question for you to ponder and think about, and I want you to think about it as we sing this last song, is this question here. What would you do? Maybe what would you even do differently if you knew that God was with you no matter what? If you truly believe that that God is with you like God was with Joseph, what would you do? How would you treat other people in the midst of an unfair situation? How would you treat people that mistreated you if you knew that God was with you no matter what? How would you treat your sin and temptation if you knew that God was with you no matter what? How would you find strength and comfort if you truly believed with all of your heart that God was with you? how would you be a little bit different? How would you live a little bit different? Knowing, trusting, and believing that he most certainly is with you. As we sing this last song and as I pray over you, begin to reflect on that question. God, I know you're with me. I believe that you are with me. How can I live differently? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for that promise, for that hope that we have in you, the promise that you are with us no matter what. I pray that we begin to recognize the things that are in our control and out of our control. That yes, we will live a life full of unfair, unjust, mistreated, judged. Name it, (laughs) we will experience it. And through it all, may we remember what is truly in our control. That how we treat people points people to you. How seriously we take our sin tightens our relationship with you and that we stay the course. Our consistent faithfulness is a reflection of your consistency and your faithfulness for us. So God, remind us that you're with us no matter what. Remind us how we can continue to point other people to you because you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen.